talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in the cool zone of 2020, we take a look back at a decidedly less cool time, Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more of a leftist socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And this week's episode is the last episode of season three of The The West Wing. It is the finale. Yay. Um, we've been building towards this over the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, started It started off with CJ receiving death threats and being assigned a Secret Service agent for a full-time detail to protect her. Mm-hmm. And it's also been set up for the last two episodes that there is a foreign agent who is funding terrorist attacks, who is visiting the United States on a diplomatic mission mm-hmm. that President Bartlett has now functionally come around to the idea of extrajudicially assassinating. Right. He he really did want to him, put him in a courtroom, but um, some Russians tortured some witnesses, so uh, that put a kibosh on the whole thing. <laughs> and this uh, is very... Like, this this dominates the arc of this particular episode. Um, it's yes. the, the... Sort of the justific... The ongoing justification... That the president is seeking for what seems to me, and I don't know if you agree with this, but like a decision that he has clearly already made. Yeah. He doesn't seem that troubled about it in in the actual moment. So I think I think it's it seems fairly clear he realizes that where this end game is heading. Yeah, and like I you that what once you in, once you start the Joint Chiefs and Leo down this path, there's no real pulling them back off of it. Well, and you also kind of you mentioned here that during the initial briefing on what the operation to murder this guy would look like, it says, oh, we have to make sure we do this assassination legally. Right? Yeah. It's just like, OK, because there's just a fundamental dissonance here where it's one thing to be like, all right, got it in my head. We are planning this operation to kill this guy. We can now, I guess, within the room. We can be honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, we, like, we don't hey, need to obfuscate yeah. this. But but that entire meeting is nothing but legal obfuscation of it, <laughs> where they discuss the episode title itself, the Posse Comitatus Act, which says that the military cannot be involved in these sorts of things, so therefore the military can't do it. Apparently the, the FBI can't do it because uh, their role is not, uh, is investigative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah FBI, right, well dude. known for never doing arrests or using guns. Yeah. <laughs> well, well known for those things. Uh, I don't know what the fuck Leo is talking about when he says that. Uh, but yeah, they go over all these legal acts. You know, National Security Act says that it can't happen on American soil. Posse Comitatus Act says you can't use the military. So there's all these legal loopholes they have to go through it's like okay so fine it will happen out of the country in bermuda and it will happen with three guys who are i don't even know who they are cia i guess i don't i can't remember giving like a description of there's some sort of operative it doesn't really matter like they're american operatives at the end of the day it's america doing this whether it's done by the military or it's done by three guys from silver corp (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> Except, you know, they drowned halfway there. Because... <laughs> yeah, they tried They tried to fly into Bermuda and ended up in the triangle. <laughs> <Whoa>! <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so the the whole the whole episode has these things of um them it's sort of like signaling to the audience that the if if you create enough and i wrote this down like if you create enough rules and strictures around how you are going to execute this fundamentally illegal act immoral and act yeah, as well. yeah no yeah. less yeah let's let's not even start with that like you can you can create a reality in which that you can claim you did it perfectly right oh and but, therefore, we did, but we didn't violate the national security act and we didn't violate posse comitatus and mm-hmm. we didn't you know i rescinded my own executive order that says i can't do it so we're in the clear yeah <laughs> like that's and it's, that's literally their argument and it's just i mean it's it's your tech it's your technocracy Right. In a nutshell, yes. Yeah. Oh, but well, I, you know, I, I did the political assassination by the rules. Therefore, it's fine. It, you know, you can't ding me on any rule violations, at least. <laughs> yes, and like they, they go through this thing where the actually, I mean, and this is a scene. Sharif is there on a diplomatic mission because he's a defense minister for. Yes. I can like never a, remember like, the fake name I, of the country. Kumar. 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 That's their, yeah, fake okay. mid- their fake Middle Eastern country that they don't have yeah. to use a real country's name to get in political trouble. Yet they still called out Saudi Arabia in that one episode. Which well, is and they called out a very famous movie because Mr. Kumar and his buddy Harold need to go to White Castle. <laughs> it's not spelled the same. It starts with a Q. But, <laughs> okay. that's fu- but that is still funny. <laughs> Harold and the country of Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> go to White Castle. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're going to need a lot of them little burgers, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they're like um he comes to the, the oval office for this state visit ostensibly mm-hmm. and they have like this exchange through interpreters and then he he doesn't shake the like he reaches out his hand in a for the completely... very standard end of the meeting diplomatic handshake that bartlett should have known was coming and bartlett freaks the fuck out like oh no i have to touch <laughs> the man's hand before i kill him and so and, and decides to make a big scene about it and refuses to shake the man's hand and like surely if you are this guy I'm not flying anywhere in the near future after that moment. Yeah, no like if if that had if I knew anything about President Bartlett and I would as a diplomat like it's my job mm-hmm. like and this sort of thing happened why wouldn't you like immediately surround yourself with your security detail and like get the fuck out of dodge in Ooh. some different fashion yeah change like, change your travel plans whatever take they a were. boat or like whatever it if, you, if you have a double this is the time for the double to come out mm-hmm. and, and go do something <laughs> very public you know what i'm saying yeah and yeah. so so that that goes down stupid. then they they hang, they hang on before we get to before we get to that you you sidestep something i want to talk about which is um the president has to form the quote-unquote gang of eight uh about the plan now that now that the plan is in motion, the Gang of Eight refers to both leaders from uh, majority and minority of the House and the Senate, um, as well as a couple other people. I, f- I forget who exactly. You know, the the higher ranking members of like co- of the legislative branch, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so we have this little meeting that's down in a little basement room. It's probably the same room where they did like the Sagittarius thing, where they were discussing poll numbers or whatever. And they we've got a little round table. 
and Leo is informing uh, the Gang of Eight about the about the plan. And he says, okay, in front of you, I've got a report. And I actually want you to put the quote in here where he says all the agencies who have signed off on it. Finding has been prepared and signed off by the directors of the NSA and Central Intelligence. And was subsequently submitted for review and approval by the National Security Advisor, the Secretaries of State and Defense, the Attorney General, White House Counsel, and finally myself. And I submit it to you for notification. How are you getting around 11905? The president's rescinding his own executive order. Because that is the ultimate <laughs> credential check right there. He's like, don't worry. It's been signed off by so many people that you know it's fine. What I, you know? Like, it's fine. It's It got signed off by everyone, you guys. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> we, we sent out this form, and everybody put their, like, made their mark next to the box. And so now we're good. Like It's fine. It's all covered. And uh, uh, one of them ends up objecting or raising a point or something. And Leo goes, this isn't like a meeting for you to raise objections. You've been notified. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Which is, is so fucking funny. It's just like... <laughs> I'm just, we call I, this I'm just here to notify you. Fuck yeah, off. We, <laughs> like, I mean, to be fair, it is some really funny big dick energy, but it's very much just like... <laughs> then, like... Why am so what, I even... So what's the point of informing the Gang of Eight if they can't object to it even? Or, yeah, just why am I here? You could have sent a memo. <laughs> I guess in theory, if they objected to it, they could run back to Congress and, like, start putting something together to stop him, maybe? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Seemed, uh, it, it probably wouldn't... Knowing the speed of Congress, that seems impossible to, uh, to have that happen before the actual assassination goes off. So, okay, now let's go ahead to the... So at this I point, mean, but, yeah, we're, they're we're, they're they're going to this show that we talked about in the last mm-hmm. episode, um, the War of the Roses, which is a succession of uh, Shakespeare plays that are held um, basically together. And I, I was thinking about this because the <laughs> idea CJ is that says the play is nineteen hours long. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and we were thinking about it because it's like the reason that they use this is so that it it, it isolates the the heavy hitters in a moment out of time over which they they only just receive information they can't make decisions right and they're not so sur- yeah bartlett's not surrounded by his staff you know yeah. in in the oval office where he could do a million things he's it's just him and leo and all he can do is make the call as to okay take them or not yeah and they, eventually he does and so and, there's this the the penultimate kind of scene with bartlett and leo is that it's Leo is sitting there, and we just talked about this, where it's just like, Bartlett will, Bartlett correctly identifies the fact that this is morally incorrect. Uh, not not only does he d- correctly identify that, he also correctly identifies that the Americans will eventually be found out as the culprits and be blamed. At, and they will. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Not to, not to. So he thought he figures he correctly assesses this is both morally wrong and quite possibly tactically wrong in that it is going to spark massive tensions and as he says probably a war with Kumar. So, so he's correctly identified there are two very strong reasons to not do it, and he's asked Leo, so why why do I have to do it? Why do I have to do it? And Leo says because you have to because you won, basically making Lane bear that. Because you are president now, you have to make these quote these capital T, capital C tough choices 
that hard men have to make, like killing a man for uh for no for no reason essentially for well, the funnier thing here is that the Kumari 9/11 plan didn't happen because yeah. if it did happen it would be extremely easy to get people to to back you know we killed bin laden and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know america was fully behind that it wasn't going to be a moral you know qualm and it wasn't going to be a, a tactical error or whatever like we were we were on that mission for years and years and years and we finally executed it and it was all fine and good in a way, it would have been easier for Bartlett had the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge gotten bombed. <laughs> well, hundred percent. And I think, but but that's not is... the lib fantasy. The lib fantasy is, haha, we were so smart that we prevented it. But by the way, we're going to extrajudiciously murder the man uh, for for even trying. Yeah, and I mean, it's you can see Bartlett's again this continued qualms because we have a brief scene where Adam Arkin is back as the psycho like the psychotherapist correct yeah um, visiting the president again and like it it's completely out of the blue because how long has it been right because he says he's sleeping fine you know and yeah. he, he doesn't have any problems with that and but he you you get the sense that he brought him here because he wants to talk about the moral implications <laughs> of what he's considering but then he also realizes halfway through that oh fuck I can't tell Stanley the therapist he might tell he might tell anyone yeah. and like if I tell him before the assassination happens that's a huge problem hell yeah, even, and even afterwards it would still be a huge problem because he would go he could potentially leak it to the media and be like oh my god Americans assassinated Sharif and there's this thing it's like I'm obligated to like report a crime or something and bullshit the only the only I mean, that thing... is true. It's bullshit in this particular circumstance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and the thing, the thing that this triggered for me is that it is clearly um, along the lines of his moral quandary here. The president is treating his therapist like a priest, like Bingo. he is seeking absolution in confession. Bingo. A hundred percent. And uh, spoilers, this is something that will happen with an actual priest, uh, I believe, in season four relatively soon at some point he actually calls up his childhood priest has him come out to the oval office and literally take confession from him and the you know the understanding is that the main thing they talk about is his recent decision to assassinate sharif well and that's that's legit alongside like the development of this character trait of his so Correct. okay but at the same time it's like this sort of like rules followy um, technically okay, not even necessary type of militarist action. I mean, just to me, this was a time, this was recorded in 2002. We are spooling up to be in two forever war countries for the rest of America's life yep. at this point. And this just goes, this is part of the cultural side of inculcating this American hegemony yep. of militarist for because we've got it. Like, if it, we we it, have this military, every problem looks like a nail. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and it's it's so funny it, when, you know, when Trump kills Kulamani, you know, uh, everyone on the left had a, had a correctly shit fit over it. But, you know, had a Democrat done a Bartlett-style assassination of someone, it would have been roundly decided as, like, well, it's not ideal, but tough men making tough choices kind of thing so yeah, it, and it all, why, it's all just a tone thing really 
And, and I think that's why initially when I was like watching this, I had my brain jumped to Suleimani, uh, even Suleimani. though, that's even though it's, say. oh, I didn't even notice. Even, <laughs> though, even though it's not um, exactly the same, it is sort of just like you, they take the additional step for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's there's no well articulated rationale for immediately electing a military strike on person. There isn't there isn't even a consideration of a diplomatic option because right. or or frankly there is no then cultural backlash against it because it's just understood that America deals with the, these things by existing everywhere in some form of gun. Yeah. Like we we have it everywhere on the planet. We we are the world's gun. And we, and we get to point it wherever we want because that is our privilege. Yeah. It sucks, OP. It sucks. <laughs> it's real bad. And this whole episode <laughs> is basically doing nothing but justifying this sort of gross imperialism where Bartlett himself clearly understands why it is wrong and he yet is forced to do it anyway by the systemic pressures of the office behind him. So and, and God knows, like, no matter what good person we put in there, and the show has gone out of its way to basically say that while Bartlett may have flaws at his heart, he is a very, very good man, and Martin Sheen sells that with every ounce of his charisma. And so, if we've put this hypothetical perfect man behind the Oval Office, and he even can't stop political assassinations, then what's the point? Yeah, and there will be no shortage of fans of this show who will, in real life, I swear to God refer to this in discussions of actual real world extrajudicial killing i remember there was um there's a 16 year old american citizen who happened to be related to correct he was uh, the i can't, son I can't remember the name he's like the son or the nephew mm-hmm. of somebody I and he was just yeah. killed abroad and it's like oh well you know this is just like a like a consequence of our policy it's like what the fuck are you <laughs> Right. Anyway. And that do- and that doesn't prompt a long honest conversation about well, should <laughs> yeah. we change our policies where it doesn't result in this sort of outcome ever again? Yeah, it's a shrugging of shoulders and an understanding it's, and it's acceptance a, of eh, the status quo. Got to break some eggs, making an omelet <laughs> here. Yeah. Anyway, we've talked long enough about this the Sharif assassination. It's clear that like this thing is just it, it's pretty morally unacceptable so let's take a brief break and we can come back and talk about a little bit lighter topic of conversation this So the major other subplot of this episode, I would say, is what happens between CJ and her Secret Service protectee slash slash crush, uh, Simon Donovan, who um, 
They both go to New York with the president for the fundraiser slash play uh, War of the Roses thing. And while they're there, at first, you know, there's a little... CJ goes off to do okay. something during intermission. To talk to the press Simon, during intermission or some shit. Yeah, talk to the press. Exactly, exactly. thank you. And Simon scolds her, oh my god, you went somewhere without an agent, what the fuck are you doing? You're like the most annoying productee to handle, <laughs> blah blah blah. And she's just kind of like laughing this off, and it's like, Simon, you're being so silly. He's like, there's a man trying to kill you. And she's like, yeah, that's that silliness I was talking about. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, mid- midway through this conversation, Simon gets a call. CJ does the very annoying thing of keep trying to talking to him while he's on while the he's, phone. <laughs> while he's oh, and he even does the finger in the, in the other ear move, and then finally he just turns around and goes, "My ear is up to a phone. What does that mean?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is real, real good, real good energy here between these two. Um, and so the phone call is alerting him to the fact that they caught uh, CJ's death threat man. Yes. Um, and she, she is now safe. Uh, she no longer needs uh, a protective detail. And this ha- handily clears up the, oh shit, I cannot date a productee, even though you tried to kiss me last time. There's a fun bit back and forth where CJ is like, where he's like, but you said you didn't. She's like, I was lying, you moron. <laughs> It's yeah. it's really good. It like is really, this, I, I, I yeah, I really enjoy the the energy they have back and forth here. But of course, because this is West Wing and this is the season finale, and this is meant to be the tragic episode where a lot of wrong shit happens, uh, I timed it, and it takes six minutes from the moment that they kiss in celebration of the fact that you know they can now begin dating, presumably. And, uh, and so they have a nice kiss moment and six minutes later, Simon Donovan is fucking dead. dead. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. See, kissing CJ is hazardous <laughs> to your health. <laughs> the, um, like, so this, this is actually, and we, we had like a, a whole thing about this where it's like, this is actually the, the scene is, is purely for the drama because she will not. I I don't think outside of like a couple of episodes, Simon Donovan will never be like a thing. No, again. not really. Yeah, like it comes. I think it comes up as like, hey, are you still something about Simon? Like maybe maybe you know, one time. Oh yeah, future. because Danny comes back. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and he says sorry about Simon <laughs> or something like that. So this this launches into there are two montages at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. One of which is Simon's death and it bleeds into the he is an english man which isn't even in the war of the roses but like so there's these two montages over music at the end of the episode which is several plot arcs and i think we, we talked about this briefly of these characters failing and like fucking yes. up which is this this is our low moment for the for our crew which is know. which is quite good because we don't often see that like, correct we usually get we usually get either Pyrrhic victories or small losses or sometimes small small wins. We rarely get a true sort of tragic moment like this. One could argue the shooting at Roslyn was sort of similar, but that was more it's, sort of it's like... It's charging more than like being yeah. like defeated. It is, it's, it's anticipatory. That was, right. That was, yeah, correct. That's a good way of putting it. This is this is definitely we're all down at this low moment here. You know, the, the president is feeling conflicted over his assassination orders. 
CJ is in grief over Simon. Uh, Josh and Amy are splitting up, which we don't want to get that much into, but we'll talk about a little bit in the next segment. All of our characters are at their low moments here so that they can now be picked up and start moving back upward again to achieve the spoilers climax of uh, the electoral victory that is forthcoming. Which is actually... So this is this is our low moment to build to that high moment. Well, it's, and it's well done. It's actually really cool to do this as a season finale, not only because it mm-hmm. speaks to the confidence of the show being renewed, but yes. like... It's actually yeah. This would oh my god. What if this if this is the final episode of the show? Be, I don't know. Actually, I think that I, hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. it's 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 not a poor choice. You know, there's certainly poorer choices. Well, so let's talk. The the scene in which Simon dies is actually like we yes. actually kind of agreed that most of it is actually pretty fucking good. Um, yes. Extremely good uh, television. Yeah. So I like. So for example, he he enters a Korean grocery store. Um, to to buy what uh, flowers flowers for CJ um, and also like a candy bar. It's it's a it's a bodega basically. So yeah like. uh, yeah um, he calls it a Korean grocery over his mic after he <laughs> apprehends the uh, the first suspect. Um, I like that. So when he enters the store, you wouldn't know it if it was your first time watching the scene, but it's super obvious if you know what the end outcome of the scene is. The cashier behind the counter is acting super fucking weird. Like, he's staring at the ground, he doesn't greet the customer when he comes in, even though Simon is effectively the only guy in the store, sort of. Even though, well, we see one guy uh, close to frame, but he doesn't look suspicious, it just looks like he's browsing the magazine rack or something. Yeah. Uh, so, Simon goes up to the Well, and, and I'd, like, I'd like to say that the... The, the language barrier, and I think the description of it as a Korean grocer, is used as a foil. It's like... But the guy can speak English. Well, you, you know it. Well, we now know he can, but like, it is... He's, well, your, he talks to Simon. Well, yes, but your presumption is that when he comes right. in, it's not strange that he's not interacting with Greeted. him because right. we are Maybe a white he audience speak English. watching Right, this. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so he goes up to the counter. He's like, okay, great. I'd like to buy this rose for my lady... To, to seal the deal later and uh and maybe a candy bar because i'm a little hungry and uh the grocery store is like no just go it's fine just go and he's like no no sir i'd like to pay for these items and and, and purchase them and he's like just go it's fine and then he look he looks and he sees that the cash register has been totally cleaned out and i cut he quickly puts two and two together and goes oh okay hang on pulls his gun whips around points at the guy who is browsing the magazine rack and goes freeze motherfucker i'm secret service don't even reach you'll never get there and it's like it's, it's a super badass like you know cop moment or whatever he collars the guy gets him to lay on the floor hands behind the head um ties him with yeah, i don't know something. maybe he had zip ties in his pocket or something Who... oh, oh doesn't he use his bow tie oh maybe <laughs> i think he uses his bow tie that'd be really good um, i didn't notice I think he uses his bow tie, and so that collars the suspect, has him handcuffed on the, uh, effectively handcuffed on the ground or whatever, and then <laughs> cocksurely, smarmily starts walking back toward the grocer <laughs> cashier, being like, "Look, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need that candy bar right now." Or blam, 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 <laughs> and then just gets popped by the other guy that he didn't even look for, and that the camera didn't show us, who was standing there watching him get collared, who the the grocery store didn't alert him to or anything like that just so simon could die yeah so and and frankly it's very cliche up up until that point 
is some quite good like because you know he's he's in love with his he lady. He calls he's in riding, for backup on his radio. Yep. After he makes the collar, he's so he's riding like, this emotional high, and so you can clear that it's just right. like yeah, I, like I fucking rule, like I'm getting this done, right. and and I'm gonna get laid tonight. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's just yeah, he's love drunk off you know everything, and he's just riding high off adrenaline, and clearly thinks he could do no wrong, and that led to the mistake of not looking and securing the rest of the store. Well, and and Which, for for a perceptive audience, you know something's going to happen because this is out of character for him. And actually, I just to thought be of so this. brash, right? I, I just so thought of this because two, yeah, two episodes ago with Evan Rachel Wood, he's just emphasizing the need for maximum situational awareness at all times because you never know what might happen. And and she's like, isn't that she? She was like, isn't that a little much? He's like, well, that's my job. I'm 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 always aware of what's going on in every corner around me. That's my entire job. And it, oops, I've completely failed yeah. to look at one half of the store. <laughs> I am in a very small bodega, and I miss one whole person. <laughs> yeah, there there are there are four people in a. 40 square foot yeah. <laughs> radius and uh, I missed one of them. <laughs> and so, and again, kind of like that, that's why we, why the audience can be forgiven for him lapsing in this duty is because he is on this emotional high, all this sure. stuff. And that's fine. It's again, it's good writing and good signaling and just, I'm, I'm less upset about how this went down now that I've actually thought through it. Sure. Um, but the thing that sticks in my mind too is, why isn't he wearing plates? Like, why doesn't he or, have a vest on? Or a bulletproof vest, at least. What? Yeah. What the fuck? There is. Sure, there like, is absolutely he, he's no. He's on way. active. He's on active assignment of a productee who is under death threats. Shouldn't he be wearing the vest anyway in case he has to take a bullet for CJ? And I'm I'm reasonably sure it's like if you are on it's duty, probably standard anyway. You're just wearing it. Like what the? It's fuck? probably standard. I would hope it's standard. I certainly hope it's standard. If, yeah. if these guys are expected to take a bullet, I want them wearing bulletproof vests. I also just there there definitely wasn't a scene where he like awkwardly shimmies out of a vest to put his tuxedo back on. Right. That that would be good. That'd be good. So uh, this is and yeah. this is kind of like we, we get the the montage so over. The, yeah, she uh, Ron Butterman has to tell her about it. She you know she makes all the appropriate grief faces for the camera. You know she cries. It's sad. We play that goddamn uh, version of Jeff <laughs> Hallelujah. Buckley. Hallelujah. That was so, so overused in these early aught years where just every show had to have some sort of sad moment fucking playing to this song. So it wasn't overused yet, so I'm not going to ding the show for it, but in, in the light of 2020, it's like, oh boy, hallelujah, yay. <laughs> yes, I remember that. My heartstrings are affirmatively being tugged. Yeah. Right so now. it's... It's fine, though. It's well done. It's, you know, as much as we can debate about Simon's tactical blunders. <laughs> um, clearly, the show wants wanted to kill him off, and, and whatever, you know, quibbling is, is sort of irrelevant. 
it, it plays well as a dramatic device. This episode overall is pretty good as like yes. an episode of television. Uh, our main objections with it are obviously for the fact that it, you know, covers for imperialism and political <laughs> assassinations by just saying that it, they're hard things that hard men have to do. But as a dramatic episode of a television show with stakes and paying off arcs and and showing continuity and all that, all these things we normally yell at the show for that, oh, nothing matters and nothing happens. Well, things are mattering. Things are happening. Yes, it is. it is somewhat redemptive. And frankly, like... This this particular scene with with Simon and CJ is, I would argue, other than um, in Excelsis Deo, the the most memorable thing that happens in the West mm. Wing. Everybody, I mean, all of my friends who mm. know that and have watched the show will be like, "Oh my God, Simon this Donovan!" Is, this is the moment that sticks out. And. Mm. And frankly, most of them are white women who have a thing for Mark Herman. But like, <laughs> sure. But we'll I give mean, him a pass. To be fair, I mean, I do too. I do, so yeah, no exactly. <laughs> he, he is dreamy and I like, get lost in his eyes. I, I have a thing for Mark Herman <laughs> and for uh, Alice and Janney, you know? Either mm-hmm. one. I know. I wanted to see them hook up. They would have been a great couple. Yeah. Um, but the show... You know, the show clearly realized the dramatic potential here was far too good to pass up. And I think the fact that you speak to so many people talking about how memorable it is to stick with them proves that it was an incredibly effective dramatic choice. Yes, absolutely. And like absent... And it was was executed well enough to stick in those people's minds for years and years and years. Yeah, and frankly, it can be completely removed from a political analysis because it's literally just... Right, there's zero politics. Yeah, there's zero politics about it. So yeah, it was... um, This is a great episode. Well, until we get get to the end with Richie with uh, Cry, (laughs) boy, I don't know. So we'll we'll talk about... Let's clean up some loose ends after another brief break. (laughs) So the less serious kind of aspects of this episode, um, Josh and Amy's relationship continues apace and they are, you know, just fighting and fighting about this vote that the White House is trying to whip. The welfare vote. Yes, the welfare vote. And Amy's group, you know, is fighting the good fight, frankly, Mm -hmm. and like telling them to fuck off. Making some pretty good um, concessions too, like where they get three guys to flip because they're... The guys are like, hey, I can't win without women in my district. And, you know, this is the whole point of Amy's group is to leverage that power. Yeah. And it's in in, in that respect, it's fine. Like we it's a lot of, um, you know, this is how the sausage gets we get made. some trading. We're both yeah. trading and whatever. Yeah. But it all just kind of like it 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 falls flat eventually mm-hmm. because Amy clearly holds the high ground and. Like you said here, she gets nothing but fucked over. Yep. Which, okay. So, so what ends up happening is Josh does a go around where he gets her boss to get on board somehow. I forget exactly how. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but effect by doing so, he has effectively won back all the votes that Amy potentially rested away, um, and Amy is now fired. Effectively, she's going to resign <laughs> on Monday, but is she is effectively fired? Um, to, you know, Toby tell, tells Josh not to worry because she is very very employable. Uh, it turns out this does not go over well with Amy. Imagine <laughs> <all>. that. <laughs> Shockingly. Uh, so uh, once Amy realizes the, the true scope of Josh's betrayal here, uh, they are effectively splitsville. It doesn't actually, no one actually has to say the words like, I'm breaking up with you, but it's, it's pretty clear. Yes. Yeah, so she, she's, she's fucking done with him. And, and I would be too. I mean, because fuck that. Like it's yeah. the fucking worst. Like, yeah, he completely betrays her on a, both a personal and professional and, level. Like, and there is there just, is little just acknowledgement. Win. Just to win. Say again. She there's there's little acknowledgement of the fact that this this is both a personal and a professional issue, which drives me fucking crazy. Because mm-hmm. like, okay, and and again, as a person who is married to a political operative. I have had to learn some hard lessons in our life together to be like, it is very difficult to decouple these things from each other when you're in a certain political wheelhouse. Right. Right. And it's just like, again, it comes at it from the hegemony side of it where it's whatever the White House wants, the White House gets. Yep. And it's presumed if it fucks over that women, they're correct. So be it. Yeah. And that's fine because clearly they have a, they have a higher ideal in mind they have a long game that they're playing it's 11th dimensional chess and you goddamn hysterical women don't understand right so i don't know it's just and it like you you said here they're they're sort of the culmination of their fighting over this is cut off because josh gets a phone call telling him that simon was killed right it's uh oh it's such a fucking cop out <laughs> it's such a cop out right like like in the in the peak of their arguing when they're really about to get into the true brass tacks of like what went down here and what fucked up that that pulled our relationship apart they that's when josh gets the call because Aaron Sorkin has and, and then, no capacity to write healthy relationships. Yeah, like, holy then, shit, he can barely write healthy women. Yeah, and then all dialogue cuts out, and we, and we cut to our hallelujah playing yeah. already. <laughs> you know, to, uh, to us, acknowledge to us, the audience, that, oh, time for Josh and Amy has passed now. Everyone is grieving. Yeah. Well, and again, to be fair, this is, this is failure of three characters. Right. And, all and it's all tied together, together with this side, which is which is good. I think yeah, it's um, it's good. It builds up the sort of like narrative synergy of it all to to make e- each of it stronger than the sum of its parts. In essence, yes, yes, I would agree. Um, so that again, it's all well done. It's still frustrating though. And then from now on, Amy will still show up. I believe from time. to I think time. a couple times more. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Amy shows up. Um, I definitely remember her showing up in like season six or seven at some point, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm, uh, who knows, but anyway, effectively they're done now. And, um, and that's pretty much the end of the Josh and Amy thing in, yeah. uh, in the episodes, one attempt at a comedy subplot. Um, we find out that Charlie is trying to replace Mrs. Lanningham and has brought in a woman, um, turns out to be the woman who actually hired him which is weird because i thought josh hired him 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, I, we'll find out what he truly means by that later on. Oh, um, yes, that's right. <laughs> I think it's that she was the one who, like, tapped his application so that Josh looked at it, I think. Uh, so, so there's this... She is not technically the one who hired him, I would say, but uh, effectively, whatever. Semantics. Yeah. So, um, so he decides Charlie, to bring her in uh, yeah. to fill Mrs. Landingham's role as recompense, essentially, for, hey, you got me hired, and it cost you your job, so let's let's try to rectify that. Uh, this woman, uh, Deborah Fitterer, is the character's name, is played by Lily Tomlin. <laughs> and uh, I, she I love is goddamn Tomlin. delightful. And she, um, so, <laughs> Lily Tomlin's from Detroit. She went to high school with my mom, which ah. is awesome. Um, cast Tech, yeah, baby. Um, That's awesome. So, she... She is a comedian. Like, she got her start in film and acting by being literally a stand-up. And then she did a show, I mm-hmm. think, in the early 80s um, that was syndicated out. That was just, like, a variety show, but with, a, like, a comedian mm-hmm. bent. And she has since was sort of... SNL, obviously. Yes. And all that yep. good stuff. And... And she's in Grace and Frankie now, which is, if, if you're okay with enduring boomer stereotypes, it's a really fucking funny show for the supporting cast. Um, highly recommend. But yeah, she's, she's, she's awesome. She's fantastic. So she, uh, at first, Charlie shows up to her house to be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get you an interview with the president. And she's like, no, 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 I, I don't want that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, I'm self-employed. I'm, I'm, my, I'm my own boss. I have my own business. He's like, oh, great. So how's business going? And she's like, okay, fine. It hasn't been great. Uh, I, I started out with gambling and that didn't go well, but now I'm an alpaca farmer. And they like, she's he's like those weird llama-like things. She's like, yes, I have two of them. <laughs> Their wool can be used for textiles. She's like, oh, so you bought a brochure. Well, and it's, this is it's well done. It's yeah, it's and it, it, it's it actually really good comedic back and forth. It it, it trades on her. Um, she has this bizarre style of deadpan that is like it's sort of an agnostic deadpan where she just keeps going mm-hmm. regardless of what anybody else says or what the context of anything is. Mm-hmm. And it's just it works really well with Charlie because Charlie is super fucking earnest. Yes, and completely and, unfazed by anything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So the two of them together is just like this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great comedic pairing. So he actually he manages to wrangle her into an interview. And uh, she shows up at the White House to interview the president. He pulled out five minutes of the president's schedule or whatever. Um, she shows up and she's like, whew, all right, I got here. And, she, and he's like, she's like, I was a little nervous, so I took a pill. And he's like, you took a pill? <laughs> I, I might have taken two. <laughs> and she, she's clearly, like, stoned out of her gourd on something. <laughs> uh, can't, can't remember her own name when she gets to talk to the president. Uh, and starts going on about how she she tried craps and, and blackjack and, and, and alpaca farming and all this stuff. And the president's like, why did you bring this crazy lady to me? Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all very well done. Uh, it's very funny or whatever. We're going to see more of Deborah Fitterer again because Charlie says like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to try again. Uh, until you get it right, I would recommend not being stoned on Oxycontin or whatever the hell you took <laughs> next time. And this, this is another excellent sort of continuity play 
Yes. Basically because we're they, they up rely on this. They mm-hmm. rely on this going forward into a new season. Yep. Yeah, we're setting up an arc from one season to another. So the show is yep. starting to get more bold with um, with serialization and actually yes. keeping these arcs around and, and paying them off. And, and finally not making that cardinal sin we accuse it so much of. Yes, exactly. Things, perhaps they will matter. Perhaps some things will matter. Uh, and spoilers, you know, she will eventually get the job and replace uh, Mrs. Landingham as the president's executive executive assistant. Yep. So, and, that's... Uh, uh, and then, well, one last thing I wanted to talk about is, the, uh, is Richie. So, oh, yes. R- Richie himself, they do this kind of funny play with him where he's going to the Yankee game at the same time they're going to the play. Uh, and they use the presidential motorcade to fuck up traffic in New York, which I'm sure New Yorkers, <laughs> you know, are thrilled about. <laughs> uh, but it, it fucks with Richie, too. And so he ends up being, like, super late to the play. And Bartlett, you know, um, they end up meeting somewhere backstage when Bartlett's having a smoke. And uh, and Bartlett starts off with, like, well, you know, uh, you could uh, you can, you know, make your lateness right by apologizing to the to the bishops or whatever the Catholic charity who, who's running the thing. And uh, immediately Richie starts back in on him with like, wow, you, you're a real liberal superior son of a bitch. You know, baseball is the game of the American people, not going to a fucking gay little theater. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. he, like, Richie is played really well uh, by uh, James by, Brolin. James Brolin. Uh, and he's... This so here's the funny thing. He's clearly meant to be the George W. Bush analog, mm-hmm. so that our liberal viewers here in 2002 can get the vicarious satisfaction of watching uh, the George W. Bush of the fictional West Wing universe get crushed by our our man Bartlett. But uh, he's not George W. Bush, though. He is actually the West Wing's version of Jeb. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> he he is Florida's governor in two thousand and two. He he is he is West Wing's Jeb. It's like if Jeb if Jeb was on like a motorcycle, right? Like he, what if he, what if Jeb actually was the badass he thinks yeah. he is? <laughs> he he carries that big stupid uh, nineteen eleven that he got engraved with his name on a rubber <laughs> around and rides a motorcycle. God, if only. Um, so, so that's all fine and very funny to me, but, um, so we brought up, you brought up earlier how Simon's death and everything with him and CJ isn't politicized at all, and you're right, it's not by any of our mains or by Simon or CJ themselves, it is politicized by Richie when, (laughs) when he hears the news about this, when Bartlett tells him, hey, I just lost a Secret Service agent, he was a good guy, he was, you know, he was protecting my press secretary, he was actually on my detail at Roslyn when the shooting happened, you know, so we're all kind of shaken up about that right now. And Richie's response, rather than just saying like, "Oh man, I'm I'm sorry for your loss," he sounded like a great agent. Is uh, is the somewhat famous crime, boy? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, come on, here. So they they get that out of him, and Bartlett doesn't mention anything about it at the time, other than taking a pause to sort of acknowledge that that just escaped his lips, and. He then, a few minutes later, goes, by the way, if you're wondering, crime, boy, I don't know, is when I decided to really kick your ass in this election. Because yeah. b- before then, 
I wasn't really gonna is the unsaid like, implication. Just like yeah, it's this this em- embrace of the fairness and we we were gonna have well, a great let's have a great debate. He says we're, we're in this point. election and we're gonna fight. On let, behalf of our people. Let, let us and, have a great debate in front of the American people, Governor Ritchie. You know, he says, I want us to have a, a, you know, I want us to be shouting ideas back at each other in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and Ritchie is, of course, just like effectively trolling him the whole time. Yeah. Not doing a great job <laughs> yeah. of it, but he's, he's trying his best. Yeah. You know, the show is, keeps says over and over that Ritchie is dumb and they're they're doing a good job of it where you can see how he is both like, respected and has gravitas as a politician while still being effectively kind of dumb. He's not an idiot idiot, but he's kind of dumb in that way that liberals love to make fun of. Yeah, no, I mean, he's pretty stereotypical in that he's sort of, it's a little bit of like the old South planter aristocracy type where very, very North Florida energy. Yeah. And there's a, there's a gravitas about him that is presumed primarily because of, our cultural history like because you look the, at a guy the grand old party you know yeah <laughs> like that, well that actually no i think that's perfect yeah yeah it's that sort of thing it's the idea that uh some republicans you know they have this history and this heritage that's just we got to respect it <laughs> And, yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's good to have land type of thing. <laughs> well said. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he's he's drinking a mint julep, talking about how great it is to have land. Um, yeah. But and yeah, I think that pretty much does it. Um, any other thoughts before we wrap up? No, let's uh, take a brief break and close her down. This episode and for this season of wow. uh, the worst, the worst wing, we finally did it. We are here at the end of season three. Uh, we're excited to jump into season four. Um, apologize for the slight delay recently. I had a little <laughs> medical problem with my foot, where it hurt real bad. Uh, but God. that's thankfully, thankfully clearing up now. Uh, I want to take a brief moment. Obviously, anyone listening to this is hopefully aware of the massive protests going on still going on um that all kicked off from the murder of george floyd by police uh are the west wings the worst sorry the worst wings thoughts on uh these should hopefully be obvious but you know we're very much in favor of them and encourage you to send you know material support if you can if you have something going on locally in your area and if you can get out there uh you don't even have to be on the front lines you can just be one of the people handing out water um, and snacks and stuff like that and bringing supplies. Um, let's, let's just do whatever we can because I think we all acknowledge that this is one of the greatest opportunities we've seen in any of our individual lifetimes if you're under the age of 40 for, for real change in this country. Yeah, and I want to say that actually 
for me, and everybody who listens to this show understands our voice. Everybody who is extremely online sort of shares in a part of this voice as a part of the dirtbag left, if you will. But I've found that in the last two weeks, there have been people coming around, and that is a novel phenomenon, and it is an opportunity to not be sanctimonious. It is an opportunity to not be as strident as we always have been in quite a bit of this messaging, all of our critiques, because frankly, we've never had that concession before from, I don't want to call them normies, but like from the mass. Like, right. And I think the, uh, the ultimate the, the, point... The go majority ahead, still approve of these protests. That's incredible. Yeah. That's shocking. That's shocking. They, they've burned things. They've they've committed <laughs> property damage. That's the that's the thing you do where now everyone hates you. You know, I, I for retrospect, I was reading some stuff about the Kent State shootings just for a sense of scope the other day. And at the time, uh, polling came out that fi- about the same amount of people who currently support these protests, about like 55%, something like that. Uh, at the time, 55% of the people supported the National Guard during the <laughs> Kent State shooting. And only uh, about 11% said the students were in the right. So, fuck, what a sea change. Yeah, and it is, again... And that was that was from when a National Guard open-fired on unarmed students. And, and killed four opposed, of them, like, with bullets in the course of doing nothing. <laughs> in the course of them doing nothing but peacefully exercising their First Amendment's rights. All, all, in these protests, there have been so many non-peaceful actions, and I'm not saying that to shit on those non-peaceful actions. They clearly have their purpose, but the fact is that that's supposed to be the PR nightmare part, right? Oh, the second you loot anything, the second anything gets burned down, oh, now it's all violent protests, and, and oh, public opinion's gonna turn on you, but it hasn't. The people are still with them. The people still understand that the cops are the problem. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, and it's also it's also a an opportunity to seize on a what is practically a universal uh, tendency, which is that the cops are fuckers, and mm-hmm. and literally a very minor tweak brings an incredible amount of people on board with us. So mm-hmm. I think overall, my reaction has just been to actually back off from my rhetoric that is usually over the top and again very dirtbag and it, it's unacceptable yeah na- to now a is lot the time lives. for solidarity uh before anything else now is the time to be welcoming with open arms to accept anyone who who is w- willing to stand with you and say yeah fuck cops yeah. let's go let's go do it like you know you give a little and you get everything so mm-hmm. like i think it's, it's just just keep it up we keep up the pressure here and Already we're starting, I'm not going to claim victory or whatever, but we're already starting to see movement that I haven't seen on this kind of stuff in decades. Yeah. And just the rhetoric alone, the shifting of the Overton window alone, the fact that defund the police is in the national conversation. (laughs) When two weeks ago, if you had told me that it would be, I would have called you a fucking moron. Yeah, like, what? No, they're never going to talk about that (laughs) Are you you kidding me? And look where we are now, and it's only been a couple of weeks. So just all we can say is, you know, solidarity to everyone out there marching. I wish I could too. As soon as my foot feels better, I'm going to try to see what I can do in my area. 
Um, I, I've donated a little bit to some of these bail funds, um, whichever causes you feel. If you have some additional income, do what you can. Just do what you can right now, because this is this is one of the greatest chances I've seen to actually claim power in a long time. Yeah, it rules. It's awesome. And it's incredible. And it's been up, you know, I've read the mood in the cool zone. You know, it's uplifting for a lot of people. And you've... The reason you feel that way is the re- it's the reason we felt that way about Bernie back when he was winning. It's it's the, it's the hope of a better world is possible and it is out there. And the people are even willing to be with you on this one, which is that's the incredible part. And we it's, ah, it's so so keep keep feeling the feel the fire of passion in your heart and uh, and do what you can. Hell yeah. And we will talk to you for season one or season four, season one, episode one of season four shortly. Soon. Yes, uh, we're looking forward to that. So, again, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, suggestions, you can shoot us to them on our thread, um, or you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and we'll be back for season four of The Worst Wing. Bye-bye, right. everyone. Bye, everybody. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on.